This third series of the Totnes chain is a little different. We decided that instead of having a chain, we would have a five-link series of individual episodes, all based on Totnes professions, but it's still five links long. This is the fifth episode of the third chain of the Totnes chain podcast. This episode features my sister, uh, Dr. Jessica Allen. Uh, This is going to be another one in our series of interviewing family. So uh, my mother was a couple of episodes ago, and now it's the turn of my sister. This is all about the Totnes Festival, which is taking place in the summer, the Totnes Podcast Festival, um, where people will be invited to come in and interview members of their family. Jessica Allen is the Deputy Director of the Institute of Health and Equity, which is based in UCL in London. She has worked with national, international and local government and published widely. Jessica's song is Man in Black by Johnny Cash. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime But is there because he's a victim of the time I wear the black for those So that was uh, Johnny Cash, Man in Black, which is a fantastic song, Jess. I should probably say at the very start that uh, Jessica is my sister, just to get that out of the way. <laughs> but we're not going to be talking necessarily about her life. We're going to be talking very much about Jessica's work. Uh, so why that song, Jess? Um... Well, I love all Johnny Cash. I love actually all country music, but I realised fairly early on that it was redneck right wing music, (laughs) and that was very (laughs) off-putting. So Johnny Cash is not like that. Uh, Radical, revolutionary person. As the song says, standing up for for a excluded, dispossessed, large group of people, and so it just resonates. And I think. Um, it's nice to have country music which isn't Trumpian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very good point. Um, can you explain a bit of what you do, Jess, what your job is, what you do, what it entails? Yes, of course. So I'm a deputy director at the University College London Institute of Health Equity. Which is quite a title. <laughs> um, which is led by Professor Michael, Sir Michael, Sir Michael Marmot, um, oh. who's a leading epidemiologist. Um, and he... Um, spent all his career studying, uh, doing research about why some people have better health and live longer than others and found that it was actually the social circumstances in which people are living rather than their access to health care. So it's those things where we live, how we work, how we age, those social, economic, um, environmental factors which shape all our health. And he quickly realised that studying it was one thing, but much more effective um, and more impactful was to think about the implementation, how to develop and design policies to improve health and reduce health inequalities. Um, And I joined him and we set up together this 
think tank, I guess it is, or policy unit within UCL. So a weird bit of a university because we don't do research anymore. We we talk about policy, we influence policy, we work with policy making organisations, or at least we try to. Um, we work with lots of local authorities, uh, WHO, and we're much more of an implementation focus now than a research focus. So we don't sit in a traditional, or we do sit in a traditional academic setting, but we're not academics really even anymore, certainly not research specialists. Yeah. So the sort of Possibly people outside UCL might know about you through the Marmot Review and the reports. Could you talk about a bit about those? Yes, yeah, so the Marmot Review, um, so I'll go back a bit before <laughs> that. So I've talked about Michael's career and how he'd moved to this position of thinking much more about policy yeah. and trying to influence policy than just uh, research. Um, and in 2006, he was commissioned by WHO Director General to do a global review of what's shaping health. In 2006? So in 2006, this yeah. is the Global Commission on the Social Determinants of Health. <laughs> so the social determinants of health are those factors outside healthcare which shape our health. Yeah, um, like, like what, for example? So we talk about the distribution of money, power and resources, um, yeah. which have an enormous bearing on the circumstances in which you live, yeah. your income, your education, your employment... Uh, your housing, all those social, economic, cultural factors as well, of course. And we drive it right back to the big political decisions and the distribution of money, power and resources and the policies which influence them. So right. this commission on yeah. health turned into this enormous global endeavour involving hundreds and hundreds of people uh, across the whole world for low... Oh, middle, that's amazing, yeah. For low middle income countries as well as high income countries. So they had to, the recommendations had to be broad enough for all those different contexts, all the different contexts across the world. Um, and not, not about healthcare. Of course, healthcare is important, but it's not, yeah. not the field that we look at. So in 2008, the Global Commission on the Social Determinants of Health was published by WHO and it's had an enormous impact across the world um, and uh, it, within WHO. So that was obviously. A great endeavour. But on the back of that, the UK government, um, which was at the time led by Gordon Brown, commissioned a similar review for England to find out what's shaping health inequalities in England. So it was quite groundbreaking yeah, um, because it was a high income country with a universal healthcare service, which, well, at that time was one of the best in the world. Yeah. Um, free hmm. access. So definitely isn't healthcare, which is driving health inequalities. Right. But, but across England, we see an systematically so it's not just the odd pockets here or there we see a 16 average uh, difference in life expectancy between the wealthiest um, communities and the poorest communities 16 year difference in life expectancy and up to 25 year difference in your healthy life expectancy which is how long you can expect to live in good health yeah so these are enormous differences and the other important point to mention is it's not just um, the very poorest who are living 16 years less long and 25 years longer in ill health, it goes what we call the up the social class gradient. So it's very closely associated with area deprivation, so closely associated that when we map it, you can see it's a gradient, it's a slope. Mm. And where you live, if you live in a wealthy area, you're almost certainly going to live longer and healthier than if you live in a poor area. And there's this very close slope association. So that applies across Britain. In fact, it's very, very clear in England, um, particularly this, um, this social class gradient in health, we call it. 
So what to do about it? So that was the focus of the Marmot Review. So we yeah. assessed all the evidence, all the research evidence, and from that we developed proposals yeah. for the government to take action to improve conditions right from the very maternity through early years into education and the quality of experiences that young people have as they grow up into employment and pay and income and through into older age and the quality of the environment in which you live, the housing, your neighbourhood, your access to green spaces, your opportunities for social mixing and uh, rates of crime and so on. So we had all these policy recommendations across what we call these these eight principles we've developed, call them the marmot principles, but they're actually social determinants of health. Mm. Um, and we submitted this piece of uh, this report to the government in 2010. Unfortunately, the government had changed by the time between yeah. being commissioned to do the work just? Yep. and uh, submitting it. And although actually I have to say the it was a coalition government at that time. They were very receptive to what we'd produced mm. and they developed policy approaches based on five of the six Marmot principles. The one they didn't accept and rejected was the one around income, perhaps the most important, yeah. um, because that would have re required a, an increase in the minimum level of benefits, minimum okay. pay, thresholds, etc. So that, that principle was rejected. The others were all accepted. Although, of course, um, in fact, not been implemented. And, uh, Have they not at all? No, not by national government in the in England, sadly. Um, they made warm noises for a while, but then it's very different to what they've done. And, you know, in the era of austerity, it was so damaging to health. Yeah. And we've, we did a subsequent review, the Marmot Review, 10 years on in 2020, and found that all the factors that we'd looked at had deteriorated, incomes had decreased, the quality of work, people's housing conditions. This is going to be very familiar to any of us who've lived through this period. Yep. Uh, incomes not increased, benefits absolutely smashed. And what was very interesting about that was this has ha already had an impact on health. It's had an impact on life expectancy and on healthy life expectancy. And you can trace that. We've got that. We are. We can see it in the numbers. We were astonished. We yeah. didn't expect to see so clearly because obviously health takes a, is a slow-moving indicator. Yeah, yeah. It takes a long time to shift, but you can see it in the data. So from 2010, health, life mm. expectancy, had been increasing one year every four years since the Second World War. Around 2010, that trajectory levelled off and we see a flattening. It wasn't increasing anymore. And then in 2020, of course, with the pandemic, life expectancy declined. But even prior to the pandemic, we'd seen that for poorer communities across England, life expectancy was declining. And we were appalled. We never see declines in life no. expectancy. This isn't the case across Europe. It's definitely the case in the States, where there's this phenomenon known as deaths of despair, which is driving down life expectancy. What's it called again? Deaths of despair, so suicide, drug and alcohol misuse, just misery, deaths of despair, yeah. which has actually driven down life expectancy in the States. And this happened before England, but God. it's now happened in England. Yeah. So for poorer communities, we see actual declines in life expectancy pre-pandemic. So this is astonishing. Health inequalities widened. Health for everybody didn't improve. And for poorer communities, really decline quite sharply, especially for women. So, so the difference, so it's declining for everybody, but it's specifically declining for poorer communities. Prior to the, so now it's yeah. for, through the pandemic, it declined for everybody, everybody. on yeah. average. So not for everybody, but on average, it, there was a decline in life expectancy in England. Okay. Prior to the pandemic, there had been 
noticeable and quite marked declines in life expectancy among poorer communities. And it wasn't just the very poorest. Yeah. It was the bottom 10, 20% of the population, in terms, bottom in terms of income and um, where they're living, deprivation and so on. So this is astonishing. Yeah. Um, and very, very concerning. And as I said, it hasn't happened across other countries in Europe. So something was going very wrong. And we trace that right back to the policies of austerity. And you those can dis- directly yeah. link it to austerity. Yeah. 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 So we're very certain about that. So this was... We had the original Marmot Review in 2010, and then we had the follow-up, 2020, mm. produced in 2020, of course. Um, and... You know, it was very, very concerning. And then we looked at what happened in the pandemic. Mm. And, of course, certain communities were much more impacted by the um, disastrous impacts of the pandemic. So rates of death were higher in more deprived communities, yeah. for a lot of minority ethnic communities. I was going to ask about that. That's very, That was very specifically linked to the pandemic again, wasn't it? Yeah, because... Yeah. So there's a close association between um, being in a minority ethnic community and living in poverty and being in frontline jobs... And then there's so they were much more exposed to the pandemic. They were living in often. I mean, mm. I'm talking about averages, so not everybody, but on average, living in more crowded housing, using yeah. public transport much more often, having to go into work. And there's a lot been lots of reports um, of being, you know, direct discrimination and probably racism in terms of access to PPE for for healthcare workers and social care workers and so on who had to carry on um, working directly with patients. So many minority ethnic workers in the healthcare service reported that they weren't getting sufficient access to PPE, whereas uh, the white uh, workforce were. So some really specific issues that are very concerning. Yeah. Um, so that was, there was related to the pandemic, poverty, deprivation, minority ethnic, these were meant, led to much higher rates of mortality um, and infectious uh, infections. So again, then the conditions which we saw pre-pandemic in terms of the impacts of austerity were yeah. amplified were amplified during the pandemic what's what's the government's response to this is this state had been sort of given to them and yes yes yeah. so they're well aware of it yeah. um when we did the 20 uh 20 report the follow-up the 10 year old follow-up report um we didn't get an official government response it wasn't actually commissioned by the government the government have been uh, trying to avoid what we've been saying um, and ignore us. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But um, they didn't respond directly. But um, I think it's had enormous uptake. And I think there's now among people in public health, in healthcare, and in those fields that we cover, so housing, education, etc. Um, there's a realisation that the policy had been, policies had been directly damaging to health and well-being. Um, so we haven't had any interest from the government in the time topics that we deal with at all um there's been no health inequality strategy since since prior probably before 2010 and that's astonishing we'd always had a health inequality strategy there was one planned but it's been ditched um so total neglect of these issues and they're getting worse so it's and you know this is life and death stuff Mm. so it's really important and the other important thing to notice we don't talk about healthcare directly about access to healthcare services and so on but that is a factor definitely that is a factor but also um because there's so much more ill health now that's driving up demands on healthcare services people are much sicker much younger really clear people are getting sicker much younger uh, than they were 
So that is obviously overwhelming the NHS. Yeah. So we're beginning to see a lot of interest from NHS services in what they can do to try and improve health through these social determinants of health. Yeah. So work with the housing sector, work with education, work with employers. It's it's small fry at the moment because there's so much you know crisis in the NHS generally trying to treat people, but that the health services. Do, are aware that they need to drive down demand in order to manage their services effectively and efficiently. And to do that, you need to take action on the social determinants of health, work with communities, work with these other sectors, improve health in places um, and outside the healthcare system because the healthcare system cannot cope. So the government trying to mop up these crises within the NHS, it's its not going to be effective until we can begin to turn around these damaging health trajectories that we're on. There's been, I've had a, quite a few conversations, just sort of absolutely nothing to do with you, just sort of happening anyway through council work, about people talking about social prescribing, there's been lots of interest in, in particularly sort of, you know, in the campaigns around housing that I've done in terms of how you build new houses to mm. make sure that there's access to green spaces, that there's an emphasis on community, that there's emphasis on light and all of those things. And I think that's come potentially out of your work and other people's work into looking at creating healthy societies, you know, from from the very bottom up across the sectors. Yeah. It's not just, the, you know, the responsibility of the healthcare system. It's everybody, all these different peoples and authorities. No, responsibility. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we call it, a, I mean, it's a bit naff, but we call it an all of society endeavour it does involve all these different sectors but it's so important and if you ask people what the most important thing to them is yeah it's usually health it's usually health and well-being <laughs> yeah, yeah. so of course this is the great societal endeavour health and well-being and the government most policies and most of the kind of rhetoric around what we need as a society is geared around eco- economics money money yep. Which is obviously really important, and it's yeah. really important to health. Don't get me wrong, but health should be and health and well-being should be, you know, the the priority for governments. We call it. The, there's different ways of expressing. It. You can call it well-being economies. You can call it health and well-being at the centre of everything that we do. Yeah, and that requires, as you've just said, housing, community groups, health services, education, etc., to be really involved in this endeavour. And I think the public would be very supportive of this. The problem that we have is when you say health to people, they immediately think healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So they immediately start talking about, oh, often, not not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people start talking about healthcare. But healthcare is really very useful when we're ill for treating health, but it doesn't generate good health. So It seems obvious when you say it. I mean, classically, but I, mean, I suppose we've all been, you know, weaned on the idea that you have to take pills, it's all about being treated... Treatment's important when you yeah. say, of course it is. You need the pills and you yeah. need the, the medical <laughs> interventions. Yeah. But you before that, in order to stay healthy and to have this longer life expectancy, better health, um, you need these, these the rest of society and all these other sectors to work together to produce a healthy society. And it's just not seen in that way at all. And that includes the environment, of course, and yeah. uh, housing, and etc. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a radical agenda but it makes it does make perfect sense to people when you kind of set it out in these terms. This is about creating health and maintaining health rather than just treating it when you get sick. The NHS, you know, it's fantastic service for when you get sick. It's yeah. not fantastic at generating health. It should be called the National Treatment Service rather than National yeah. Health Service <laughs> because that is what it's doing. But yeah. we'd like to shift that a bit so that the NHS, which does receive, I think it's around £120 billion every year of public money, Yeah 
some of that, a small portion of that, could go towards supporting communities, even in terms of advocacy, lobbying the government, advocating locally. Don't get rid of green spaces, do, build better quality housing. That yeah. would be really powerful interventions. Social prescribing is useful. It's not particularly well funded. And it's a kind of last resort. If you're lonely, very good, go and see. But it's a long, it's a long that treatment spectrum. It's heading that way, whereas we'd like to get right in at the beginning and really improve those conditions. And it's not rocket science. No, 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 it's not at all. I mean, for me, it sort of feels like it depends on on voluntary service at the moment. The, sort of, the voluntary groups are, are doing what you're saying, but it's not part of sort of policy. It's not it's not built into the network of local authorities or anything no. like that. Is so it? it's not in this country, but it no. is in other countries. So we've Let just me guess Scandinavia. Well, we've just done it. Yes, <laughs> we've just done a big report for Norway. There you go. Yeah, they they do have health inequalities which yeah. are related to uh, poverty and deprivation and. Immigrant immigration, so yeah. new immigrants to Norway have worse health outcomes and worse outcomes in their social determinants of health, but they quickly shift them around. Within three years, you, you, the differences are kind of evened out. In three years, yeah. which is incredibly Yeah, they have this great programme of, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's a welcome to, to new migrants to the country. Um, and they're sort of... So they're not putting them on ships off the coast of Dorset? They're, they're definitely not doing that. Yeah. So... You know, but they have this whole of society endeavour. They're really pushing hard. They recognise where there are problems. They're up to squeezing. We work with the Norwegian government. Um, so, you know, there are different... And other countries, as I've said, across Europe, do it differently. Yeah. What we're doing is not, you know, not not the right way and it's not the only way. And there's, it, it doesn't take an enormous amount to shift it. It doesn't take an enormous amount of thinking. You need the systems to join up. You need those different stakeholders. You need those. We work with over forty local authorities in this country. The government may be ignoring us, but places aren't. Yeah. We work with other parts of the healthcare system. So over forty local authorities that we've worked with are thinking about how they can get their systems, their public transport, their healthcare, their uh, their education, their housing, their public health systems to all work together to really try and generate health. Properly, Coventry's been doing it since 2013. They've been a marmot place since 2013. They've had How, what, what does that look like? What are the what are the differences between Coventry and let's say Exeter, for example? So I don't know Exeter. I don't okay, know what well, happened then, to Exeter. <laughs> but but in Coventry, they've got this really coherent system, and it involves the economic and business sector, employers, DWP. It involves all local authority services. The community and voluntary sector are absolutely central. So who's controlling this in Coventry? Where so it's it led from? from the local authority, okay. and it's led from public health. But there's a very they meet every month. They discuss. They know street by street where the criminal justice system is involved in this. The police, yeah. and they all sit around and discuss together what are the specific issues, how they can get uh, together to sort of think about link up services to refer people around the system, much more coherent and cohesive. And then there's a whole sort of culture of placing health and well-being and equity. So it's not just health and well-being, it's equity of health and well-being yeah. at the, the centre. Proper levelling up idea. At the centre of everything that they do. And, yeah. you know, they've had very good, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to monitor these things and, and see the impact because obviously what happens nationally has such a big Im impact on policy. Yeah, so you have to wean these bits out from what's the impact. Yes, I can see that, yeah. So, but Coventry has had, compared with its statistical neighbours, which is one way we look at it, so those areas which are most like Coventry in the country, Coventry has better outcomes since 2013 in a number of areas, which are really important, early childhood development, for example. Yeah. So positive signs. Oh, we can't claim too much, but it's all been positive so far. And there's a kind of coherence to the work that they do among all those sectors together, really encouraging. And then we've worked Greater Manchester, Cheshire and Merseyside, 
Luton, Wolfham Forest, a whole range of local authorities, Southwest soon. And a hooray. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of it is around the system working. There's not much more money in the system without national government support, mm. but there is a kind of willingness, endeavour, cooperation. Partnership. Uh, partnership working, collaboration yeah. and partnership, which, which when you put health equity at the centre of what you do, really comes out. Yeah. And people are keen to help and keen to do it, you know. This isn't something that public sector workforce don't want to do. Yeah. It's not what the medical workforce are so encouraged to do this. You yeah. know, this is their they want to improve people's health. That's why they went into Well preventative. They don't yeah. want people sort of waiting until they're ill and then coming no. to the NHS. They want so to we say, see yeah, yeah, yeah. we see small scale, but we do see in Cheshire, say uh, sorry, in Merseyside, doctors referring to working closely with the housing sector. So they get children with respiratory disease, which is caused by their crap housing conditions. Yeah. And then they're now referring them on working with the housing sector to improve those housing conditions, advocating for, you know, some really encouraging things, recognising the impact that people's living conditions are having on their health. I'm just thinking of of sort of, you know, in a a totness frame. So we have I've, I think I have to engrave this on my forehead, but we have one of the most polluted roads in the southwest running right through Totnes. So in terms of how to deal with a situation like that, where children along that road are beginning to get quite bad respiratory diseases, you know, in, in a local authority situation, to help me out, Jess, how, how does that work? I mean, does that, the new housing that's built along it, do we take what you're saying into account? Um, yeah, absolutely. So obviously, I mean, it's well known, uh, uh, pollution is absolutely chronic yeah. for our health and for educational development actually yeah so all kinds of issues and i think you know and more deprived people are much more exposed to air pollution minority ethnic communities in london much more exposed to air pollution yeah um and there's been some very high profile cases around that recently which um you know has woken people up, I think, to the impacts. So you need to take a sort of coherent look at what's happening. The health service will have more demand for it because of this. There's worse health. This is not something that any local authority should be planning for. Absolutely ridiculous. So you need to take stock. Um, They need to take stock within the local authority, within the housing sector, and the developers need to be held accountable for the impact that they're going to have. And they get away with building all kinds of stuff without talking about health equity without thinking about yeah. the impact of their development on the community, on the broader health and well-being of communities. So there's a lot of issues there. But I think you know, accountability for these things needs to be built up much more strongly and within businesses as well. I suppose it's all, it's all filtering down, isn't it? It's all a question of, you know, these ideas are, are you know, are, are sort of known about within different sectors, but it needs to become a conversation across the board. Yeah, really. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's that collaborative approach. And you need to have the levers in place to do this and accountability, governance arrangements, yep. all the technical <laughs> stuff needs to be much, much more strong. But I think, you know, if there's a public awareness and a push for this and a local authority that's willing to take this on or made to take this on, I yeah. would like to see all local authorities doing yep. this kind of work. Um, then it can happen. You know, it's not impossible. As I said, it's not rocket science and it's not impossible. So it sounds slightly idealistic, but it's not. We've seen it happen in other places. You can turn it around quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of sort of, you know, things to do with the environmental movement. I mean, people have been screaming and shouting about the importance of clean air and fresh water and good, you know, and 
takes, you know, massive crisis. It takes huge push from people to sort of, you know, create the cracks in a local authority and the government yeah. in which, you know, these things can actually be implemented. Yes, but yeah. it, it does happen. We've seen it happen and yeah. it can be positive. So um, systemic change is what we're talking about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So how did you get into this all, Jess? Oh, I um, <laughs> um, well, I did a PhD in housing, post-war housing. After university, I had no I idea. I doing this, yeah. I had no <laughs> idea what I wanted to do and... You know, I'd enjoyed the degree that I'd done and it was one thing that I could do. So I did a PhD in social housing in East End of London. And I had stories of you getting locked into... Yeah. So there was, yeah, it was kind of... That was an experience. Yeah. Um, and then I went into uh, just the way serendipity happens, I guess, or you just got lucky. And um, I got into, weirdly, looking at the impact of crime movies and TV programmes on people's understandings of what drives crime. And from that, I went into a... Somebody asked if I'd come and help them with some research they were doing about uh, health messaging and the impacts that that has. So, you know, um, tobacco, alcohol, etc., and how that impacts people's understandings of ill health and so on. And from that, I got into health and I went into think tanks, um, which was really great, and ended up at IPPR, which was very influential at the time with the Labour government and we were kind of doing policy world and then I got very interested in I I found out a bit about health inequalities and it just was really interesting to me especially given the PhD that I'd done and so on Um, and I came across Michael Marmot's name yeah uh, and I invited him to come and give a talk at IPPR oh is that who you met I didn't know that uh, on health inequalities yeah so which was great he said well I'll do that but and this is I've learned since that this is typical Michael but we're going to combine it with an event with the government um, and he pulled in all these people and we had this turn out to be a very influential important event yeah um, he arrived he arrived at the last minute changing into his suit he'd been somewhere else and Michael is hyper active so right. this turned out to be very typical of Michael walked in and gave a speech that reduced everybody almost to tears he's a yeah. brilliant public speaker which is why I think his work part of the reason why his work's been so influential yeah and then we kind of followed up from the event said that was great and he said I've been commissioned to do this review will you come and lead the review yeah and move over and I absolutely no hesitation absolutely yeah came and led the kind of secretariat for the Marmot review yeah incredible experience met Andy Burnham and Gordon Brown and was sort of and Putin yeah well that was later <laughs> that was later but um yeah we're just fantastically energized leadership from Michael in this agenda yeah totally committed passionate about it brilliant orator can can convince anyone um about the agenda and the importance of doing it and and has convinced a lot of people yeah i mean he's driven it hasn't he's, he really? he's driven it it's yeah. now everywhere as you say there's definitely a momentum now building other yeah. other people are leading on it there's it's all over the world and we've done since we did the 2010 marmot review in england we were then commissioned by who euro re, european region to yeah. do a european review and yep, then great. in the Americas, we've done a re- for the whole of the Americas as well. So um, it's got a in- very strong international uh, kind of momentum behind it, which is why I know that you can turn these things around yeah. uh, at national government level as well as at local, so local which, level. Which are the most successful? Which countries have taken it up most successfully, would you say? Um, well, it, it changes over time. Brazil has had its own commission. Um, we've worked across the Americas. And I just think it's... It's an awareness building. I mean, yeah. 
to countries which haven't done it. Well, I'll tell you a story about the European review. You oh, mentioned Putin. So yeah. we, the, the European region includes Russia for in the European region of WHO includes Russia. Yeah. So we did a review for um, Europe, Europe, uh, WHO Europe and um, Russia was included. Russia has by far the lowest life expectancy in Europe. And it's, by far, really? Yeah. yeah. We went to Moscow for the launch of this review, you know, and it's a slightly nerdy health policy review. And suddenly we were in this, we were there for the launch of the European review and suddenly there was security and you had to go through all these kind of metal detectors and so on to get to this sort of nerdy meeting. And we were, what's going on? And in strode Putin, um, surrounded by all his KGB agents and he marched up to the, they're not KGB agents, but his security. Yeah. Marched up on stage, took the microphone, and just said, "Health in Russia is incredible. It's some of the <laughs> leading, <laughs> leading health in Europe." I was like, "No, have no, you seen the not. data? <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Putin, but if you looked at the data in our report, so he spun this ridiculous story about yeah. uh, Russian life expectancy, which, by the way, is catastrophic, so and deteriorating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't think there are places which definitely." aren't doing what we're saying but it shows you how political this stuff can be yeah and um when we did the review across the americas um there were you know we had some unco- very uncomfortable things for the u.s about their health inequalities and about who was suffering the most and why and their policies and um, we had a big conference in rio to mark yeah. i think it was to mark the the commission on the social determinants of health 10 years on or something and the then Secretary of State for Health um, refused to sit on a platform with Michael. What? <laughs> this was during the time of Obama, so you'd think it would be sympathetic, because yeah. Michael has once said social injustice is killing on a grand scale. So because he'd uttered those words Oof. and published them, um, social injustice is killing on a grand scale. She wouldn't sit on a platform with him and couldn't have a photograph. And that was during you know the time of Obama when they were busy doing Medicare. Well, it was a lot better, you'd have thought, wouldn't yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, these things become very political very quickly. Yeah. Um, and there are countries which are sympathetic politically and will take this up, and those countries which aren't, don't. But, you know, they're reaping the... You know, the, the impact well, it costs more if you don't. And this is also, you know, if it's entirely the focus of a government, mm. it's it saves money doing this, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Thought. So, yeah, it's been a fascinating, um, however long it is now, 15 years I've been working with Michael. Um, but, you know, this is beyond one person or even one institute. Yeah. So we're working very, very hard to try and get the message out there to really influence governments and policies and programmes. And we work with the UN a bit, but obviously there's much more that we can do. And our own UK government has actually been one of the hardest to work with since 2010. Probably not an enormous surprise, but they've... um, Not a huge surprise. We did have funding from the government to run the institute. That was cut when we said some things. I think Michael sat on a a stage with the public health minister and talked about inequalities in maternity outcomes and early childhood development. And after that, our funding was cut. Wow. Everything that he said was on the data. He never says anything that's not, you know... Not back-upable. No, absolutely there in the data, you know. Totally. We we call ourselves, you know, independent. We're not aligned particularly with one party, but we're talking about data and people's, you know... Which is the whole point of you, isn't it? It's the data collection and the outcomes that you can prove from it. Yeah, Yeah. but, um, yeah, they're not... They do their best to kind of marginalise and sideline. We try our hardest to be as loud and kind of... Uh, vocal as we can be and you know as I say 
local authorities and community and voluntary sector and regions and even the NHS are taking up what we said, irrespective of what the government in this country have been you know, their efforts to ignore us and sideline us. At least they're ignoring and sidelining you and not pretending that you're wrong. <laughs> Which no, is a better. No, yeah. they, they can try. Once yes. or twice, they've, <laughs> they've tried with Michael to find a hole in the data or the statistics and you don't want to get into that debate. Do so. not. <laughs> no, good. So what's what's the future, Jess? What do you see? So happening? we've built a... We're trying to do um, make the work that we do, as I said, more uh, more practical, yeah. easier to implement build on what we know to make you know these tools available for different sectors who who can do this we work with a lot of areas including southwest coming up um we're also we built a network an online platform where people can go and access what we do and have discussions and again try and build momentum and knowledge exchange and experiences and share yeah share experiences of trying to do this kind of work which i think is really Networking popular is always key isn't so it? that's yeah. that's that's for the UK yeah. and then we're going to try and try and get global one going because of course this works absolutely essential in low and middle income countries as well as high income countries yeah. um, and you know there's a lot of investment that goes into low and middle income countries in their healthcare system quite rightly yeah. but then they neglect quite often those kind of health generating um, other sectors which means that the healthcare system is just becomes more expensive and you know unaffordable yeah. in those contexts so We've still got a lot to push and a lot of evidence that we've got that we want to get out there and, and to build those networks. So we've got a global network, we hope, soon. And we've got this UK network. And we're just carrying on, you know, building the evidence, pushing. And I think it's really important to get a kind of public momentum behind this because it hasn't been there because people, as I say, tend to think about healthcare and protecting the yeah, NHS when yeah. they think even, about it. Even health. still, even somewhere like Totnes, I think that's, uh, you yeah. know, which surprises me. It's everywhere. Actually. Yeah. And, it, you know, the, as I said, healthcare is essential, obviously, mm. but there's this bigger, broader picture about health that gets left out um, and the resources it gets are minute, minute compared to the NHS, etc. So I think if public campaigning and advocacy and push for this um, came, came along, it would be helpful. We've had MPs say to us, well, I would do something about this, but I never get people in my uh, constituency asking me about could we have more health equity um, yeah, but why would they? It's ridiculous. They, you know, they want to out. know about the healthcare sector. Yeah. So they're reactive. So yeah. I think, so they're reacting to that. You know, this is, and these are MPs who are well disposed to this agenda. Yeah. They just say that there's no public pressure for this. And there isn't really. So we're trying to push on that. It's a, oh, it's, that's interesting. It's okay. a difficult, intensive thing. And, you know, but the local authorities are definitely, definitely pushing on it. So that's been really encouraging. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Jess. That was quite a weird. I don't normally talk to you about all this stuff. I normally run out of the room, to be fair. But like... <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I'm trapped. Yeah, <laughs>